Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to the next installment of the Guide to Existence. Today, we're going to deviate a little bit from our previous um, assignment for the past few weeks. This year, we're trying to choose a mitzvah each week to talk about. And this week, I just could not find a mitzvah in this week's Parsha that we hadn't already talked about. So instead, we're going to just talk about a deeper idea in the Parsha to discover the secret for how to overcome hardships in life. And this week's Parsha is really the culmination. By the way, feel free to ask questions, interrupt anytime. This week's Parsha is the culmination of the story of Yosef. Yosef's brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt. He eventually, after being thrown into prison, rises up to become the viceroy of all of Egypt. And then his time to shine, he decides, when he notices his brothers coming down to buy grain during the years of famine, Yosef decides to do this very strange thing. And we don't really know what he's doing. He, he doesn't reveal himself to his brothers, and he accuses his brothers of being spies. He has them thrown into prison, and then he says, "You know what? If you, if you, um, if you come back down with your younger brother, then I'll know you're not really spies." And the whole thing is kind of weird. Why does he want him to see the brother throughout the whole time? He's always asking them, "How's your father? How's your father?" Again, what? Why? Why is he so interested in their father? It seems very strange. And then. Then they come down the second time, and he, um, they discover when they left that their money was back in their saddlebags. Like, oh no, he's going to accuse us of being not only spies, but now thieves. We stole money from him. They come back down with their brother Benjamin, Benjamin, and he says, no, no, it's all good. I, the money, your God gave you your money back, and now I see you're not spies. Come, let's eat. And they have a whole big meal together. It's like weird. Why is the president? of, you know, literally like the second in command, the VP. Why is he having dinner with them and hanging out with them? He's he's literally like hinting to them throughout the whole time. He's always asking about the father. How's your father? It's like weird. Like, why is the president interested in our father? And then he gives them, he feeds them according to their age order, which is also really weird. Again, he's like giving all these hints that he knows who they are and they don't get it. They're totally clueless. And then he sends them home again, and this time he plants his goblet in Benjamin's saddle bag. And then they ride up, the army catches up with them, and they say, you stole from our master. And they, again, are brought back, and they say, okay, we'll become your slaves. And he says, no, the one who stole it is going to be the slave. The rest of you will go home. So in a sense, he's reenacting the story of what happened to him, that he was thrown into slavery by his brothers. And Benjamin is his blood brother, all of the same mother and the same father. And so he assumes that if they're jealous of him, they'll be jealous of his brother as well. And he wants to see how they're going to respond when he staged this whole thing just to get his brother there. And all the other stuff that happened also was eerily similar to stuff that they did to him. He accused them of being spies. They falsely accused him of somehow being the bad seed of the family. Right, he stole. He accused them. Of, they felt that they were going to be accused of having stolen money, and they sold him for money. He, they stole. Uh, they stole his uh, cup, his goblet, which he used 
to tell the fort to do fortune telling with was his divination goblet and they essentially robbed him of his dreams of his future so there's a connection there and finally he was thrown into slavery and then and then um benjamin is going to become a slave so after all this question yes so all the brothers were half well they were four mothers jacob had four wives so so many of them are they're almost you know they're a lot of them are halves so rachel 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 the 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 most beloved wife of jacob of jacob only had two sons yosef and benjamin and so there's a little bit of a rival here because the torah says that yosef was his favorite he was the son of his old age and he had this great connection to yosef benjamin was even younger benjamin was his youngest son but there was a special connection with yosef so on the surface level it seems like the other brothers were jealous of him in some way but he wants to see how they're going to react when he does the same thing to his uh to his brother so in this week's parsha after all this the climax yehuda stands up yehuda who is essentially de deemed the leader even though he's the fourth born he's not the oldest son but he's essentially the leader of the brothers he's the most powerful and he in a certain way is guilty for having sold yosef because Yehuda, it was Yehuda's suggestion to sell him. The brothers wanted to kill him. Reuven convinced them to throw him in a pit instead of killing him. And he would have died in the pit. Reuven, who was the firstborn, his plan was to rescue him from the pit later. So, but Reuven, so Reuven really saved his life, but he's also condemned a little bit because he should have convinced them to save him, right? He should have said, forget it, let's, let's not do this. But instead he came up with this idea to throw him in the pit which really was ostensibly a good idea. His goal was to save Yosef. But when he came back a few, a few hours later, Yosef was gone because in the interim, Yehuda convinced the brothers to sell him into slavery. So Yehuda, who the brothers all listened to, could have stood up and said, enough is enough. We're not doing this. This is wrong. He did not do that. So really the guilt falls on his shoulders the most. So Yehuda, and in last week's Parsha, Yaakov did not want to send Benjamin down. He was so scared something would happen to his most beloved son. So Reuven said, if I don't succeed in bringing him up, um, then I will have sin to uh one second. Let me find it. Um so Reuven says, if I don't bring him up, you can kill both of my sons. And Yaakov says no. And then a while later, the famine is even worse. And then Yehuda gets up and he says, if I don't bring him back, then I will have sinned to you against you for all time. And I guarantee that I will bring him back with my own life. And then Yaakov says yes. So Yehuda is really responsible for bringing Benjamin down. So Yehuda stands up in this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Vayigash. Vigash means he he came close, and he says Vigash alav Yehuda. Yehuda came close to him, Biomer, and he said Bi Adoni. The words Bi Adoni we're going to learn have a very different meaning, but the simple meaning is please my master. Yedaber na let my let me speak and explain to you. Please don't get mad to, at me because I I have I respect you as if you were Paro himself. 
And then Yehuda tells him the whole story. And he says the whole story of what happened, how they came down. And, and he says, our father is so attached to this boy. Our father will certainly die if the son doesn't come back. And his brother has been killed. And, what, and I will be a servant to you. So if I'll, he says, well, if, if I'll come back now to your servant, my father, and the boy isn't with us, his being that his soul is attached to the boy's soul, he'll die from grief. And he'll see that the boy is gone. So then he says, let me stay in his place. I will be a serv your servant and your slave forever and let the boy go back to his father. And, and in a sense, he literally stepped up to the plate. And he said, I'm worthy of being a slave. And then it says, now this is, I, I, I always say this, I said this, I, I said this class last year in an abbreviated version on my podcast. And I said, this is like the, the, one of the most incredible moments in the Torah. Every time I read the story, I get emotional. It's, it's kind of like the Luke, I am your father moment of the Torah. Okay, it's really intense. Okay, and this is the revelation. So, after hearing this whole story, it says Yosef couldn't control himself anymore, and he got so emotional. He said, "Everyone, get out!" He threw out everyone from the house, except for him and his brothers. And then he turned to them. And he said, "Ani Yosef, I am Yosef." And at that moment. The brothers were in shock. They couldn't speak. They had no idea what to say. The whole thing was so shocking and embarrassing. And the Talmud, the Medjur says that this is like the experience of what's going to happen to us when we get to the next world. When we pass away, we're going to have a moment like this. when it's, We're going to see the clarity of everything and we'll be in shock. And I want to explain what the connection is between this experience and the next world. Okay. But another question that I want to ask, answer as we expound on all this is, first of all, how did the brothers not recognize him? He's throwing hints the entire time. He knows their birth order. He's kind of saying, how's my father? How's your father? And why don't they just recognize him? He's their brother. He hasn't been gone that long. He left at the age of 17. It's now, I think, 22 years later. Okay? But what changed? So Rashi says that he grew a beard. Wow. Like, he grew a beard. Like, you can't recognize the guy with a beard. Like, I get it. Maybe you won't recognize him right away. But when you spend all this time with him, you're going to recognize him. And not only that, but we know for sure that the, that Rashi says earlier that Yaakov, Yosef looked just like Yaakov. They were like literally like spitting image of each other. And Yaakov, we know, had a beard. So, okay, so it might not look like their younger brother, but it looks just like their father. So how could it be that he didn't recognize him? So on our, in our process of answering these two questions, what's the connection to the next world and why is it that the brothers didn't recognize him? I just I want to start with just a, an interesting riddle in this week's parsha. The Torah says later on, so after Yosef reveals himself, they bring his father down, and the Torah says that the children of 
Yaakov came down to Egypt, and it lists all the children of Yaakov. And it says all together, lists all the names of everyone that came down, all the children of Yaakov, all his children and grandchildren. And it says the total of the Jews entering into Egypt was 70 souls. The house of Yaakov that came to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, 70 souls. The problem is when we count all the names up, we only get 69. So who's the 70th soul? So Rashi tells us, one, there are several explanations. Rashi tells us one of them. The one Rashi tells us is, second, Where is it? So Rashi says that the 70th soul is Yocheved. Who is Yocheved, you might ask? One second, we have another visitor. Um, something that I've heard done, um, numerous times is everyone, there must be something at, from, uh, that ends at 8.30. <laughs> so, um, if you ask your average Jew, who is Jesus's mother? What will they tell you? They'll know, right? <laughs> but if you ask your average Jew, who was Moses's mother? Anyone? <laughs> and good, good guess. Uh, wrong, but good guess. <laughs> Jaylene, you want to take a shot? Where, where, what party were you at just now? All right. Um, the question was, what was Moses' mother's name? Yocheved. Wow. That makes you more knowledgeable than 99.9% .9 of American Jews. So Yocheved, says Rashi, Yocheved was the 70th soul. So why was she not listed in the names of the people that entered into Egypt? And the answer Rashi says is because she was born literally in between the walls of Egypt. As they were entering across the border, she was born right in between both worlds. And uh, let's, let's see what the significance of that is. Answer number two, says the Talmud, <clears throat> different sources. Um, an old uh, ancient translation of the Torah says that the 70th soul was actually someone named Serach the daughter of Asher. Has anyone ever heard of Serach, the daughter of Asher? Who was Serach? So if I had my kids here, they could sing you a song about her. So the story goes that when the, when the 
the brothers came out of Egypt to go get their father and tell him Yosef is still alive, they were afraid that he would die from shock, finding out that his son is still alive, like who he'd been mourning for and missing for, for 20 years. And so they wanted to break the news to him slowly. So Yaakov's granddaughter, whose name was Sarah, was a talented harp player, talented musician. And she started playing the harp and singing a song. And the song went like this. Od Yosef Chai. Od Yosef Chai. Yosef is still alive. Yosef is still alive. And she's singing the song casually. And it began to sink in. And then when they told him, he did. He was gradually ready. Oh, Ani, what? Ani Yosef Oda Vichai. I am Yosef, my father's still alive. That's what my son said, the real song. But anyway, um, Kyle, you want to sing the song? It's all girls. You want to sing? You want to sing? <laughs> Thank you. So it was something like that. Anyway, so somehow Sarah who played this sort of important part in sharing the good news with Yosef, with Yaakov, that Yosef was still alive, somehow she is the mysterious 70th soul. There's only one major problem with that, is that she's listed in the list of 69 names. So how could she also be the 70th? Putting that aside, Sarah also plays a very important part later on. Sarah um, announces when Moshe comes down to redeem the Jewish people. So Sarah lived, she lived very long. And she had an unusually long life. And she was alive at the time when Moses, she was alive at the beginning of the slave, of the entrance to Egypt. And she was alive when Moses comes down and says, I'm here to redeem the Jewish people. And she had certain code words that she had inherited from Yaakov as to know if the Redeemer had really come. And she's the one that told the Jewish people, he's the real guy. Moses is the one who's supposed to take us out. So Sarah plays, and again, a very uh, instrumental part in giving over good news. And the last answer is that the 70th soul was Hashem. Because it says, God says when they're on their way down into Egypt, it says that Yaakov was very scared. And Hashem says to Yaakov, don't be afraid, I'm going down with you. But somehow God went also with the Jewish people into Egypt. So now to try to tie everything together that we've discussed so far, which is how is the revelation of Yosef to his brothers somehow an experience of what we're going to go through in the next world after we pass away? And 
Why is it the brothers didn't recognize Yosef when he was throwing hints left and right and he looked like his father and all he had was a beard? He was the same guy, right? And then finally, um, what's the secret of these, these, the 70th soul? So the question that really we want to ask is how do, how does, how do we overcome hardship in our own lives? And that's really the theme that I want to discuss tonight. How do we overcome hardship and suffering? So we have the, the sons of Jacob who have been tormented by this Egyptian viceroy. I mean, he's accusing them of spy, being spies. He's throwing them into jail left and right. And now he wants to make their, their brother a slave. So they've gone through famine in their home country. And Yehuda now is facing fam, all sorts of family strife. If he doesn't bring his brother back, his father will he'll have basically killed his father. And Yehuda stands up and he says to Yosef, and with these words, he melts Yosef's heart. And then Yosef reveals himself. And you see from this that Yosef didn't want to reveal himself yet. He still wanted to drag this charade out a little longer. What was he trying to accomplish here? So the answer is, is that Yosef was trying to put the brothers through the exact same experience that they put him through for two reasons. One was a test to see if they would respond differently now. And we see that Yehuda did. Yehuda, who threw Yosef into slavery, now is willing to become a slave himself to save Benjamin, Yosef's full-blooded brother. But on top of that, perhaps um, Yehuda's Yosef's giving them the chance, not just to test them, but the chance for them to actually repent. There's an idea that Maimonides brings from the Talmud that true repentance, right? If a person does tshuva, which means they change, they work on themselves, they overcome their bad habits, their evil inclinations, their negative qualities and their flaws, and they actually become a better person in any area of life. So how do you know if you've actually really broken the habit? How do you know you've kicked the habit for good? And the answer is you find yourself in the exact same situation that triggered you last time to anger or to drinking or to smoking or to different addictions or negative traits. And you don't do it. Now you know you've won. But you never want to put yourself in that situation. That's like a bad idea, right? If you're struggling with addiction or food issues or you're on a diet don't put the cake in the room don't go to the bar you know but if you found yourself there and you overcame that means you've really accomplished the change so perhaps he was simulating these experiences to allow the brothers to truly prove their worth and maybe he was waiting for them to recognize him to finally recognize him and realize now we get it because everything that happens to us in life is a test, everything. And when negative things happen to us, it's an opportunity for us to examine our ways and say, what could I have done to have brought this on into my life? What could the message be here? And when we truly examine our ways, so we have the opportunity to then really grow from the experience by coming to a solution and saying, you know what? Like I give, always give the example. So there's the idea of Mita, connected Mita we've talked about, which is measure for measure. What you put out comes back. What goes around comes around. Karma. And so when you speak badly about someone, then you burn your tongue a second later on a hot cup of tea. So you get it. You're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have spoken badly about that person. 
sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not so obvious, but we have to read, learn how to read the signs of what the universe is telling us. So maybe he was waiting for them to notice him, but how could it be they didn't recognize him? And, and I think the answer is, is because the clearest, clearest reality can be right in front of our eyes and we miss it because we don't want to see it. We don't want to acknowledge the truth. We can't handle the truth. Right? And, and perhaps that was what was going on here. They weren't ready yet. They still didn't get. And they were. They talked about a lot. This must be because of what we did to our brother. And they, it was going through their mind. But they still didn't put all the pieces together and realize, yes, we did the wrong thing. And we caused pain to not only our brother, but to our father. And that might be the key element, is that they, they didn't recognize the pain they caused their father. And Yosef keeps asking, how's your father? How's your father? And when he reveals himself, he says, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. Ha'oda vichai, is my father still alive? Even though they've been talking about their father all along, maybe what he's pointing out to them is that last thing you missed. You missed that last point, is what pain we've caused our father. Perhaps. Perhaps. But... So, in that instant, Yosef reveals himself. And perhaps in this is the message of the Medrash that says that when we go to the next world, we're going to have the same experience. The brothers were speechless. They couldn't believe it. Yosef was with them all along. So, what does this have to do with the next world? The Arizal teaches the following point. That when Yehuda approaches Yosef, the word vayigash means to approach. It's also a language of prayer. And there's a message about prayer here. But he says as follows, Yehuda, who represents the Jew, Yehuda, the Jew, Yehudi, goes, approaches Yosef, who is the enemy, the Egyptian, the oppressor. And he says, but Yosef also represents, okay, also represents Hashem. Why? Because Yosef is the quintessential tzaddik, the righteous person who's totally connected to Hashem. So he's, he represents this duality of the Egyptian oppressor. And on the other hand, the reality is, who is he really? He's really a righteous person. He's Hashem. He represents Hashem. And he says, Yehuda says the following line, Be Adoni, please my master, which the Arizal translates to mean, be means please, but it also means in me. Adoni means my master, but it also means God. So Yehuda recognizes, be Adoni, inside me is God. There's a piece of God inside each and every one of us. Hashem is in us. Hashem's never been far from us. He's been in us our whole life. He is that pure jar of oil that we were talking about during Hanukkah. That never, the light that's never extinguished, the goodness inside each and every one of us. And he says, inside me is God. When we realize that God is in us, then suddenly the world responds. And the oppressor takes off his mask and says, you know what? I'm Yosef. I'm also your brother. I'm also God. That the world around us that seems full of so many challenges and so many tribulations and trials is all Hashem. It's all from God. It's all for the good. What does it take to recognize that Hashem is around us at all times? To first recognize that Hashem is in us. 
at all times. When Yehuda says, in me is Hashem, Yosef can't hold himself back. And he rips off his mask and he says, I am Hashem. I am your brother. I am, this was all for your good. All these tests were for you. So says the Medrash, the challenge, the experience of the next world, when we get to the next world, is the shock of recognizing, first of all, the embarrassment. The brothers were embarrassed. And there's an embarrassment when we go to the next world. We're going to watch our entire life. And there are moments that are going to be truly embarrassing. The things we did wrong. The things we thought no one was watching. Well, well guess what? They were being recorded on video. <laughs> Web, like, like There's a 24-hour surveillance. You can't escape the, uh, the cosmic video camera. And it's going to be embarrassing to watch some of those scenes. But you know what's going to be even more painful is the missed opportunities. When you see your potential, who you could have been, what you could have accomplished in this world, the greatness you could have done, the heights of spirituality and goodness that you could have reached, that is going to be the real pain of the next world and the real embarrassment is seeing that we only reached a small, por a small portion of our potential. So that, that's message number one of the next world. But additionally, then we're going to look back at our life and we're going to look at all the hardships we went through and we're going to see that that was all Hashem. Everything that happened and it was all for our good. And it was all, it was all orchestrated to bring us out the best in us, to give us the opportunity to grow, just like Yosef orchestrated this entire charade. So that's, that's the parallel to this story. And the brothers didn't even notice him. And that's the greatest embarrassment. Is he was right in front of their eyes, dropping hints 24-7. My friends, that is our life. Hashem is dropping hints all around us. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm running the show. And yet we don't see him. We can be looking it straight in the face. And the answer is we see only what we believe. Somebody, I saw a TED Talk the other day by a... Uh, by a colleague of mine, a rabbi in, in Israel who got on TED. He wrote a book on, uh, on Jewish self-development. It looks really good. I'll, I can send you the TED Talk if you're interested. It, looked, it was really inspirational. And um, he said that there, people, don't get, people don't get lucky. Good things don't happen to you because you're lucky. Good things happen to you because you're looking. When you look for the good, you'll have the good. When you look at each opportunity in life as an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to have good things happen to you, they will happen to you, right? So he said it's all about your beliefs that shape what you see. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. What you believe that becomes your reality. So Hashem is with us at every moment. Hashem is in us at every moment. And yet we could be blinded from the truth that is right in front of our eyes because we don't want to see it. A friend of mine um, just had a baby this week and he said, he said, we should make a movie on the miracle of birth to show people how miraculous it is that a child is born. And I said to him, I said, 100% it is so miraculous. I told you the doctor we went to before we'd had kids and he said, it takes so many coincidences to work out for a baby to be born 
for conception to take place. It's so crazy for everything to work out for something to, for a child to be born healthy. He said, every birth is a miracle. But a friend of mine said, but the greatest miracle of birth is that the doctor in the delivery room can deny God's existence. That is a pure miracle because it's so miraculous. It's so clear that there's God's hand in the whole process of life. For someone to deny that, to look that in the face and deny it, is the greatest miracle of God. That you can look at his presence and still deny him. Pretty amazing. So, so despite all these hints, they missed it. They missed it because they weren't ready for it. And another message that we have here in this experience is we said that the word vayigash, to approach, is a language of prayer. That what is prayer? Prayer is the revelation of be adoni, that in me is God. The true experience of prayer is a connection to self, going within and recognizing the greatness and the godliness that you have within you. And then prayer becomes an expression and an interaction with your inner world. It's learning to, and the word Yehuda means to give thanks. Oda, as we talked about on Thanksgiving. So the experience of prayer is going within and seeing the good and then giving thanks for all the challenges that you're going through. My wife just said that she learned something last week from a certain rabbi, that the greatest um, thing you can do to get rid of your challenges is to thank Hashem for your challenges. Recognize that the challenges are good. They're all tailor-made for you and say thank you is the best way to get out of hard times. So words from the heart enter the heart. When Yosef go, when Yehuda goes within himself and he recognizes this godliness within him, and he opens up his heart to Yosef. Yosef figuratively, literally, spiritually, metaphorically opens up. The barrier is broken and he reveals himself. The greatest way to connect to others is to open up yourself. Words from the heart enter into the heart. There's a great story of the Chafetz Chaim, the leader of Polish Jewry, who there was once a decree in uh, in Poland in the in the Polish Parliament, the Sem, that um, that would really um, greatly jeopardize Jewish education in Poland, and I think it was something about mandatory Polish education and that they wouldn't have a chance to learn Jewish studies anymore, and it, it was very detrimental. And the, the Chafetz Chaim went to address the head of the parliament. And he stood up and he spoke to the head of the parliament in Yiddish. He didn't speak Polish. Chafetz Chaim lived in Poland his whole life, didn't speak Polish. And he spoke heart, heart, where, heartfelt uh, uh, appeal for the future of Jewry, Polish Jewry to the head of the prime minister. And after he finished speaking, someone got up to translate, and the uh, the politician said, "You don't need to translate. I understand what he said. Words from the heart enter into my heart," and he he nullified the decree. So that's another message of what's going on here: is is that you can break through the barriers when you truly connect to who you are on the inside. And the last message 
here is the mystery of the 70 souls. So who do these three characters have in common? We have Yocheved, we have Serach, the daughter of Asher, and we have Hashem. So I think the message is all one. Yocheved is the mother of Moshe. Yocheved is born in between the walls, the border between Israel and Egypt. She literally lives in both worlds. And it's through her that comes the Redeemer of the Jewish people. There's a concept in the Torah that the, the, the healing always comes before the, the suffering. Before the sickness, the, the cure is already in the world. So before the Jews enter into Egypt, the moment they're entering into Egypt, the mother of the Redeemer is already born. Literally, the redemption is already starting before the slavery begins, before the exile begins. Message number two is Sarah. Sarah is this, she is the, the singer of the redemption. She's the one that tells the Jews, Moses is here to redeem us. She's the one that tells Yaakov, Yosef is alive. And we learn in various sources that she doesn't die. So some want to say, one of my favorite contemporary Hasidic masters says, that she is connected to Eliyahu, Elijah, the prophet, who doesn't die. Because Elijah, one of the great Hasidic sources says, is the soul that goes into anyone when they give over good news. Because Elijah is the one that's going to come to the world and say, Mashiach's here. He's supposed to be the harbinger of the, of the redemption of the Messianic era. So in a sense, Serach is Eliyahu. She shares the same soul as Elijah. And perhaps that's why she's listed in the names of 69 names, but she's also the 70th soul because she got an additional soul. At that moment, she became also Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, who's going to be the one that's going to hasten in the ultimate redemption. So again, we see the idea of the redemption. The seeds of redemption are already being planted before the exile begins. And finally, the message that Hashem is with us is the greatest redemption, that in the darkness, in the suffering, Hashem is there. He's one of us. He's part of it. He's part of that journey into Egypt. And he'll be with us when we come out because be Adoni, Hashem is with us. Hashem is in us. Hashem is all around us. The suffering is an illusion. The suffering is designed for us to simply come to the recognition that Hashem is with us through prayer, through giving thanks, through acknowledging the good in our life and the good that exists, the hidden good that exists in our challenges. So we should all be blessed to see the hand of Hashem in our life, not wait until we're no longer in this world to see it, but open up our eyes now and see the reality that is all around us that Hashem is here in this very room and inside our very selves. So, questions, comments? Thank you guys for listening.